0: Amen. So, uh, you'll notice if, you've, if you're if you a Wednesday night veteran that my notes look way different than they usually do. Uh, and for all of y'all who are, you know, you always have a hard time keeping up and getting the, the blanks filled in, you'll notice there's not even any blanks anywhere. I mean, there's not any blanks anywhere. So, uh, for this series, I'm going to fill them all in for you. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm kind of making this like a timeline. So, This is Sunday here on the front, on the back is is Monday, and I'll just kind of add to that each week, um, and uh, try to chart this out in a way that visually you can see what happened in Jesus' life in the last week uh, leading up to the cross. And so, um, uh, it'll it'll go Sunday through Sunday. Uh, And so just to kind of give a little bit of background, um, Jesus didn't just wind up in Jerusalem on that passover week uh whenever it led to the cross um in luke chapter 9 he is uh he's performed some miracles uh this happens right after the transfiguration uh uh where he is uh visually transformed in front of peter james and john where a voice from heaven uh speaks and confirms that that jesus is who he is um and then he comes down the mountain, and surprisingly, a couple of the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest after they've just seen Jesus transformed right in front of them. Uh, and then it says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 it says, When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. And so, from Luke chapter 9 all the way to the cross, uh, Jesus. basically set his face uh towards jerusalem so it's not that he's just wandering around and oh well it's passover time i guess we'll go to jerusalem he is on his way he is determined that he is going to jerusalem and he knows what's going to happen because along the way he began speaking about his crucifixion about his upcoming death uh the journey from uh where he was at to jerusalem would look something like this you can kind of uh, uh uh you can kind of see that he started up here near Bethsaida. um he was up here in this general area and so he would have came down around the, the sea of Galilee. and whenever he got here to samaria they did not welcome him and so he would have had to have kind of gone around and come down the this side of the jordan river crossing over and then coming back into jerusalem um, so he kind of had to make a little bit of a a, a detour on his way down uh, to jerusalem and so this would have been kind of the path that he took to get there and so whenever he arrives he doesn't arrive by himself this is passover and scripture says that a good uh hebrew person is going to celebrate passover in jerusalem so the jerusalem swells huge during the passover week uh, here in in this time period and so uh, it would have been uh, many 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 times more people than normal there in jerusalem and so uh, whenever he comes in everybody knows about him he's been performing miracles uh, everybody's probably anticipating you know maybe i'll get to see the messiah maybe I'll, or jesus Maybe i'll get to see this jesus i've been hearing about um and so there's already kind of just some excitement in the air that maybe this miracle worker jesus will uh will come into town and so on sunday march the 29th um which they didn't call it march the 29th you know that's just what we call it uh but sunday around march the 29th uh jesus uh enters jerusalem from uh bethany he he uh, comes to outside of Bethany, and he tells them to go into it and get a donkey. And so that's where I want to pause and uh, read our scripture. So if, you, if you've got uh, the, the little paper that says uh, Synoptic Gospel Accounts of Jesus Last Week, uh, what I'll do is I'll get you one of these every week. And what I've done is I've gone through the, diff- the four gospels, and I've placed the, uh, the passages of scripture in chronological order, because uh, not every gospel writer says the same thing. Um, and in reality not every gospel writer puts it in the same order um, For example John's gospel is not written chronologically John's gospel is written thematically So some of the things that happened around the Passover week of Jesus' death actually are written about in John chapter 2 Because uh, John uh, as brother David has been mentioning as he's going through the gospel of John John is written around seven signs and um, seven um, I am statements of Jesus And so John is written more thematically. And so you kind of have to put these things in the right order in order to kind of get the full picture of what happens. And so I'd like for us just to read through the scripture. So front and back, I'll just read this, and uh, you can follow along with me. And so this is uh, Sunday, Uh, and I won't talk about the references. I'm just going to read it like it's just one big paragraph. Um, So it says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus, just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Some Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, we have accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him as he approached the city or as he approached he saw the city and he wept for it now some greeks were among those who were went up to worship at the festival so they came to philip who was from bethsaida in galilee and requested of him sir we want to see jesus philip went and told andrew then Andrew and philip went and told jesus jesus replied to them the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven i have glorified it and i will glorify it again The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? there's a, there's a lot more to that dialogue but i just didn't have to put it all in there uh he went into jerusalem and into the temple after looking around at everything since it was already late he went out to bethany with the 12. so that's what happened on monday uh, if you read through the gospel account of matthew um you uh, uh that's what happened on sunday sorry if you read through the gospel account of, of matthew uh, matthew puts the cleansing of the temple there at that time frame um and so sometimes the gospel writers uh place things in, in different places but um what a lot of people believe is that most likely jesus cleansed the temple twice um you know just because whenever he went there uh, that first day he could have very easily ran those temple traders out of the temple complex and what do you think they would have done the next day i mean this is passover week where all the people are at they would have been right back in there right I mean, they would have been there because that's where the money was to be made and so it's very possible that he cleansed the temple um multiple times um, in that time frame. So flip back over to, or flip over to Monday. Actually, you know what? We'll read Monday in just a little bit. Let's let's kind of walk through Sunday real quick and see what it has to, to say to us. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem from Bethany on a donkey. Okay, it's not a, for us, that doesn't sound like a real regal entrance. Uh, you know, it's kind of like saying, and and uh, the, the new president rode into town in a pinto. Uh, you know, just, you wouldn't see the newly, uh elected president rolling into washington dc in a ford pinto or you know even to get more modern something smaller like a toyota corolla or something like that even if it was a brand new nice toyota corolla he still wouldn't come into that he's going to be in a, a limousine of some kind you know some kind of big fancy car because it it represents his prestige and his position and the honor that's bestowed upon him but jesus comes in on a donkey and not even a full-grown donkey a, a baby donkey well, the donkey is, is, is symbolic. The donkey indicates his kingship to the expectant crowds, and it fulfills Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus was fulfilling prophecy by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, he was uh, – there were, there were different ways that a conquering king could ride into town. Uh, if a king has just uh, annihilated your army and he's riding in as a conquering military king, well, then he may ride in on a horse or he might ride in in his chariot. If he is a political or a religious conquer- conquering king, we'll put our quotes up, uh, somebody who is coming in as a religious or a political king, he often would come in on a donkey because it represents more of a peaceful transition or a peaceful takeover so to speak and so jesus is coming in and by riding on a donkey he is basically saying i am the king i am the new king that is coming into town and so the people respond positively to that because remember the town is swelled with jewish faithful you know these aren't the these aren't the marginal jewish people they're still back home they didn't want to make the the travel to jerusalem these are the the zealous uh passionate people of the Hebrew faith, and they've all come to Jerusalem. And so they are excited because all of a sudden, this Jesus they've been hearing about is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, symbolic of that kingship. And so they respond. The expectant Passover pilgrims rightly interpret the meaning of his actions, and they rejoice by placing the robes and palm branches on the road for their arriving king to enter. They are openly recognizing Jesus as king rather than Caesar. And so by them taking off their robes, laying them on the ground, putting palm branches on the ground. Uh, They are representing that they acknowledge that he is the king that is riding into town. In the Old Testament, there was a king, one of Judah's king named Jehu, and uh, they did the same thing for him. As he rode in victorious into the city as the new king, they laid down their coats and palm branches on the ground, recognizing, symbolizing that he was the the coming king. And so whenever Jesus rode in, I want y'all to just picture this for a moment. This isn't just somebody, the people acknowledging, it's our favorite pastor, or it's our favorite evangelist, or man, we love this prophet, or something like that. It's the people of, the it's the Jewish people saying, our king just rode into town. Now, if you're the Roman authorities, what are you thinking? You're thinking, all right, we're fixing to kill a bunch of Jews because they're going to have an uprising. Um, So as soon as Jesus starts coming in, and they start acknowledging him as king, the situation gets tense, and basically, Jesus has crossed the line. He can never go back to the way things are, things were. For his whole ministry, he has been a rabbi, a well-respected teacher, uh, somebody who is sought after, and somebody who's a miracle worker. He has just crossed the line from being a miracle worker, or teacher, to being a political rival to Caesar, and a political or religious rival to the Pharisees. And so, Jesus, as he rides into this city he has crossed a line that he can never go back on. It would just it would be just, it's just like if somebody hops the fence at the White House. They've crossed a line that they can't go back on. Um, oops, I didn't mean to. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. Or oh, I didn't know I would get in trouble. It doesn't matter. You're still going to jail, you know? And so he's he's crossed that line. And so he crossed that line and as the people praise Jesus, the Pharisees instruct Jesus to rebuke the crowd. But he refuses because the people are recognizing him as a coming king and they're basing that recognition off of zephaniah 9 9 which is the coming of the messiah represents the coming of the messiah not just a king but the king and so uh they are recognizing they're shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and so they're declaring hey our messiah king is riding into town and religious leaders are saying jesus how you know rebuke these people don't let them give deity to you you know don't let them proclaim that you're god in the flesh and that you're riding into town and uh jesus basically says hey they said what they said you know (laughs) you know he's like hey if they don't say it then the rocks are going to say it you know the trees are going to say it everything everything else is going to cry out that i am the messiah and so that's the that's the situation as jesus begins entering into the city and so he uh uh comes from the mount of olives and from bethany and he's entering (laughs) in jerusalem and so as he comes close to jerusalem um, this is that point where he weeps over the city, and he says, how much hell I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. And so he he uh, talks about, uh, he just kind of weeps over Jerusalem and over the people there. And so as he comes into town, he predicts his own death. And this is an interchange that is uh, was, was a little odd, uh, kind of fits in there, kind of odd, but it's the, where the Greek some Greek believers, some Greek faithful come to him, and they say, hey, we want to talk to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't really, uh, we don't have any questions that they ask him or anything, but Jesus begins telling them about how he is going to die um, and how the Son of Man must be lifted up and all this kind of stuff. Well, the Jewish people know that the Messiah is supposed to live forever. The Messiah is not supposed to be a temporary king. He's supposed to be a permanent king. That's why they knew that, that men like uh, Maccabeus, who if you have grown up in a Catholic church, or uh, you may know that there's some apocry- apocryphal books in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And four of those are the book of Maccabees, first, second, third, and fourth Maccabees, uh, written by uh, Maccabeus. I think his first name was Joseph, if I remember right. But he basically led a revolt against uh, the reigning uh, power of the time and kind of set up a Jewish state right there in Jerusalem. He kind of freed Jerusalem for a time period, and then Rome came in and, and took him out and um, you know, he was gone. So they thought he was the Messiah, and they heralded him as a Messiah, but he died. So they knew that he wasn't the true Messiah. And so now, and Jesus is coming in, and they're saying, this is the Messiah. But then he says, you know what? I'm going to die. And I'm, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm the Son of Man, but the Son of Man must be lifted up, which is a phrase referring to crucifixion. And a phrase that goes all the way back to Moses, whenever Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, which is in John chapter 3, it kind of talks about that. Moses lifted up the serpent, and whoever looked at the serpent was healed from the snake bites that they had received as the serpents went through the people of Israel. And so Jesus is basically saying, look, I am that serpent. I am that person that's going to be lifted up, and anybody who looks at me in faith and trusting will have eternal life. And so they're confused. They're they're trying to figure out how can the Messiah, how can you be the Messiah if you're not going to live forever? Because they don't understand the full picture of what Jesus is going to uh, is going to do, so Jesus has this audience with these Greek pilgrims. Uh, he says that the reason he's coming to the world is to die. God's voice uh, answers and talks about glorifying God and glorifying Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus clarifies that his death will be by resurrection, or his death will be by crucifixion. Sorry, I wrote that out wrong. Um, his death will be by crucifixion. Whenever he talks about uh, being raised up, and the, and the people argue with him about that. So after he enters into the city, he goes into the temple. Uh, and this is where uh, things start getting really exciting. Um, on this night, we don't know if he he may have cleansed the temple that night, like Matthew said, um, or he may have just kind of gone in and observed, which is kind of what Mark seems to indicate. Uh, either way, we know that Jesus went in. He obviously became aware of what was going on, not that he was surprised by that anyway. Um, he saw that there were money traders and people uh, just not being uh not treating the temple in the way that they um should have been treated and as he goes in he heals uh some of the lame and some of the blind uh there in the temple uh children praise him as the messiah and they sing hosanna and shout hosanna about him um and uh the pharisees are get all upset about this and so the pharisees are indignant over the children praising Jesus as a messiah and they ask Jesus to respond to them and Jesus approves of their praise Um, and then jesus slips out and he spends the night in bethany what we'll see throughout the timeline is that jesus spends the night in bethany probably because it was a little bit too volatile in jerusalem Uh, so he stays the night in bethany all the way up until thursday night when he stays in jerusalem because you have to celebrate the passover meal in jerusalem um so uh, it's then that he goes out to the mount of olives and is betrayed so that's what happens on sunday uh, pretty exciting day. Uh, it would have been really interesting to have been there um, to see what all was, was going on. Uh, Monday is, is a lot of excitement as well. So let's flip, flip your scripture page over to the back, and let's read what happens on Monday. Okay, uh, It says, uh, The next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. He was teaching them, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, yes, you have, ne- have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies every day he was teaching in the temple the chief priests the scribes and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him but they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what he heard so the chief priests and the pharisees convened the sanhedrin and were saying what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him and the romans will come and take away both our place and our nation one of them caiaphas who was high priest that year said to them You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation. uh, The whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. And so that's the uh, the kind of the episodes that happened there on Monday. And so as Jesus is walking into the city, uh, he sees a fig tree with nice new leaves on it. And he says, I could use a couple of figs. And so he walks over there to get him some figs and there's no fruit on it. And so he says, curse you fig tree. Nobody will ever eat from you again. How How many of you have ever just wondered at that statement? I mean, because, I mean, what does it say? It says the... A uh, fig tree that was not in fruit uh, I did not have fruit on it why it wasn't, in it wasn't in season. Why would Jesus curse a fig tree uh for not having fruit when it wasn't supposed to have fruit ever ever wondered that? you haven't okay, we'll just keep going okay. um, well uh Israel in the Old Testament is often characterized by a fig tree, and so uh God as speaking through the prophets primarily. Will refer to israel as a fig tree um, and refer to them having supposed to bear fruit jeremiah eight thirteen says i'll gather them and bring them to an end talking about judging judah i will gather them and bring them to an end this is the lord's declaration there will be no grapes on the vine no figs on the tree uh, and even the leaf will wither whatever i have given them will be lost to them and so israel was supposed to be what did jesus say the day before so that the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for who for all nations right israel was supposed to be like this light shining in the darkness where people would come to to receive answers and to receive hope and to receive uh, the message about the one true god they were supposed to be a a people that uh, were a blessing to all nations a blessing to everyone that came into contact with them yet throughout the years israel had been repeatedly unfaithful to god unfaithful to god unfaithful to god they were not a mirror or a model of what it meant to have true faith in in yahweh in the true god and so there was supposed to be a fig tree where people could come and get fruit and um uh but they they were not they they didn't ever produce fruit so jesus cursing the fig tree is symbolic of god's judgment upon israel a nation that has the outward appearance of life but fails to bear good fruit and so when it comes right into it the story of the fig tree it doesn't really matter that it wasn't the season for figs the the writers are telling you this is why there weren't any figs on it because it wasn't fig season but it was alive the tree was alive it had leaves it looked like a it looked like a tree that would produce fruit yet it was not it didn't have fruit on it it could not satisfy what jesus desired jesus was hungry he desired food and that tree could not provide it just like the nations are hungry for the truth of the one true god yet israel never produced the fruit that they needed in order to Uh, Have that hunger met and so Jesus cursing of the fig tree is symbolic that of God's judgment coming on Israel Uh, And we know that, you know, uh, this is um, around 33 AD So we know that in AD 70 the Romans are going to enact final judgment on Israel They're going to destroy the temple and they're going to scatter them around and Israel would not return to Israel until the 1940s Uh, So um, God definitely rained down judgment in this in AD 70 uh, upon his nation. <clears throat> Sorry. And so that cursing of the fig tree is symbolic of what God was, had done and was doing to the nation of Israel. So Jesus goes in uh, to the city of Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. When he re- gets there, he returns to the temple. He knows full well what he'll find there because he was there the night before. Uh, he's going to find religiously sanctioned money changers and merchants fleecing the people. Um, so these are basically... Uh, stock traders who are all in it for themselves Uh, what would happen is uh, you had to have this special kind of money to make an offering in the temple Uh, and uh, and so people would come and they would have their money from I mean coming from as far as you know there's Christian or there were Jews in in Africa there were Jews in Egypt there were Jews up north out east you know everywhere and they were coming in and whenever they came in what kind of money did they bring with them Well, whatever money the country that they were from. And so, you know, if we wound up over in Jerusalem, we'd have our U.S. dollars. Well, you can't give U.S. dollars as an offering in the temple. You've got to give a special temple coin as an offering. So you have to exchange it. If you've ever gone to another country, you know what an exchange rate is, right? So if you go somewhere, like, uh, I don't know what it is right now, but usually in in Israel, going from United States to Israel, it's about uh, one to two, one U.S. dollar for two Israel uh, shekels. and so, uh, you know, that's kind of what the exchange rate was. Well, the exchange rate in the temple was super high. So you're not going to get a whole lot of temple coins for your money. So that's a way that the, the profiteers were making money on that. You also might bring your best lamb, you know, to, to give as a sacrifice or something like that. Well, they're going to look through it. They're going to find that one little spot on it that's not good enough. Oh, this one's not good enough. Tell you what, we'll give you $5 for your lamb, and you can buy this one for $20. That's just right. That's good enough for you. And so they were profiting off the people. They were thieving, uh, stealing from the people. And so Jesus runs these profiteers out of the temple and begins teaching the people that the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. And Isaiah 56, 7 is where it says this. I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. So this is what Jesus was teaching them. That this was the purpose of temple and so by doing this this was a direct challenge and threat to the religious structure put in place by the religious leaders so the day before on sunday jesus came in as a very clear and obvious uh alternative to the reign and the rule of king caesar now on monday he comes in and he begins teaching how the religious structure that the religious leaders have set up is corrupt and he begins teaching an alternative way of living out your faith in god To the people and so basically he's saying shut these pharisees out and don't listen to them he and so by doing so he's undermining their income undermining their influence undermining their position in society and so he has become not only just a threat to the rule of caesar but now a threat to these religious leaders the leaders of the jewish people um and so after he cleanses the temple and begins teaching against the policies of the religious establishment they began seeking ways to destroy jesus Um, you don't jesus had lit a fire under these religious leaders and it was not going to go out um he he was throwing he and he didn't want it to go out because he knew what the purpose of his life and the purpose of his coming was and so all week we're going to see as we keep this study going every week he every day he throws a little more gasoline on the fire you know he's trying to keep it going trying to get it bigger and bigger and bigger until finally on thursday and friday it boils over um and so uh, uh that's what you'll we'll see as we continue on and so at the end of this day jesus uh goes out once again and he spends the night in uh in bethany um and and stays there and then he'll come back in the next day so every day he comes back in and he does something else to stir the pot and then he goes back out has a good night's rest and he comes back in and stirs the pot um and the whole purpose of this and one of the things that we need to really realize um is that jesus was not captured and placed on the cross Jesus put himself on the cross. Um, every day, Jesus does something else to get himself in trouble. We know that Jesus didn't sin to get himself in trouble, but every day Jesus does something else to get himself in trouble with somebody, with the mainly the religious leaders, all the way up to his mock trial when they can't even get their witnesses to agree, and Jesus has to say, "Hey guys, I'm God," and then they're at like, blasphemy, you know, and so um, he basically convicts himself. And uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but. Uh, but uh, jesus is just he knows that he's supposed to die on friday and he does everything that he can to get there for our sake and so i want you to think about that as you as we approach uh easter um just consider how easter was not when jesus was killed either easter was when jesus sacrificed himself easter was when jesus gave himself for us not when his life was taken remember he said Nobody can take my life. I give my life. And that's what we'll see during this Easter week. And and when we think about it that way, not that the cross is meaningless any other way, but man, it just really puts some gravitas sort of to the cross and to what Jesus did during this Passion Week.